song hello irish fans and welcome to onward to victory a notre dame football podcast as always i am your host alex painter i hope everyone is staying as safe and well as possible under some very trying circumstances but let me tell you i am super psyched to have you here today i continue to hold off on a 2020 season preview episode for fear that everything will change So for instance, I had roughly half of the episode, the 2020 season preview written a few weeks ago, but then we pick up and join the ACC for the fall, which by the way, if you otherwise hadn't heard, Notre Dame will compete in the ACC in the fall. Big news. So Notre Dame will join a conference even temporarily for the first time in school history, and will even have an opportunity to compete for the ACC championship. Now, this clearly seems like a 2020-only arrangement, as extenuating circumstances have really dictated present events, but even so, this is a really big deal. As ESPN staff writer Ivan Maisel wrote, quote, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 months ago, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick would have met the idea of the Fighting Irish ever playing college football in any conference with a stifled yawn, a subtle eye roll, uh, we've been over that response, and yet here we are. It took a pandemic, but the Irish bachelors for the past 132 years are agreeing to settle down with the Atlantic Coast Conference, end quote. So not much of a surprise as far as which conference we ended up settling in with because we do play a partial ACC schedule to begin with and all of our, most of our other sports compete in the ACC. Um, So, but anyways, being the one man shop that I am over here, I decided to hit the pause button on a season preview for just a couple more weeks, you know, just in case something else earth shattering should happen. Moving on, thank you to everyone who has listened to the last two episodes, numbers 26 and 27. Although accidental, they actually seem to go together kind of nicely. Episode 26 was about how the how Notre Dame may have gotten their Fighting Irish nickname, according to some, which is when they went fisticuffs with none other than the Ku Klux Klan in the streets of South Bend in 1924. And episode 27 was about the Fighting Irish as a nickname, mascot, and logo, and whether it was offensive and how it fits into the current narrative about mascots and logos. Now, I released the episode in... By show standards anyway, episode 27 was a runaway success, having the best debut and first week of any episode, well, ever. And I want to thank you all for listening to it. And as I might have kind of halfway expected, I did end up catching quite a bit of flack over it. Uh, But however, it did seem universally from people who hadn't listened to it or wouldn't listen to it. And that's perfectly fine. And I also understand that when you put yourself out there, particularly an episode about a current issue or a hot button issue, you can fully expect to run the gamut of emotions and opinions. Just so it's clear, I would never advocate for the fighting Irish to change. And in the episode itself, I detailed all the reasons I thought it was even silly to bring it up. But uh, I suppose folks may have seen the placard for the episode and assumed the episode was something it wasn't. 
But man, I tell you, I was totally overwhelmed with the response as far as listens and people who tuned in. Uh, so thank you for that. Maybe some of you are even new to the show and having picked up on the show here the, over the past couple episodes. So thank you for being here. So this is episode 28. Now, given show tradition, I will assign the episode a representative who wore number 28 for the Irish. And in thinking about number 28 for the Irish, you can think of one person, and that is Rocky Blyer, who was a running back for Notre Dame from 1965 to 1967. He wore number 28 for the Irish. He wore number 28 for the Irish on the 1966 national championship team. Throughout his Notre Dame career, he rushed for 784 yards and four touchdowns, and he also hauled in 36 passes for three touchdowns. So again, a a brilliant three-year career where that Notre Dame backfield, particularly during that time in the mid to late 60s, was loaded. Blyer was just one successful cog in that machine. However, after graduating from Notre Dame, he was actually called to serve, and he spent parts of three years in Vietnam, serving in the Vietnam War, where he was actually wounded in action and earned a Purple Heart in addition to a Bronze Star for his service. And what did that mean? Well, the doctors actually told him after he was wounded that he would never play football again. And so, of course, his professional career was put on hold due to his military service. So, however, despite being told you'll never play football again, and actually part of his foot was was amputated uh, as part of his injuries and his wounds. But he went on, as most of us know, to enjoy a long professional career spent entirely with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he won four Super Bowls with the team. So episode 28 today is the Rocky Blyer episode. So before we get going with the feature presentation of the episode, I want to thank the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans. Now I want to point out that these are the folks who support the show monetarily, keeping the program advertisement free and allows me to continue to push the show as wide as I can. And they have all been long-standing supporters of Onward to Victory, and I can't thank them enough. And they deserve all the luck of the Irish coming their way. So first, thank you to Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey. Thank you to Adam Painter of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana. And Colton Painter of Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you all so very much. And if you are interested in discovering how you can become a consensus All-American and receive the latest in show merch, as well as be an an all-around awesome person, stay tuned for the show wrap-up and find out how. All right, so hey, remember 2015? (laughs) Though just five years ago, it, for whatever reason, certainly feels longer than that, doesn't it? Well, I am fond of 2015 for a few reasons. When speaking about Notre Dame football, that is. So after regular season finishes of 8-4 and four and 7-5, and five, regular season finishes, that is, in 2013 and 2014 respectively, the Irish would break through with a double-digit win season, which was their first since 2012, and at that time only the fourth double-digit win season of the 20th century. Naturally, I would be remiss not to mention how we have won double-digit games now three years in a row. And despite that 2016 hiccup when the Irish managed to lose seven games by a single possession, 2015 did indeed feel like the birth of a new age in prosperous Irish football. And it still does. But 
It was spearheaded by a performance of a player who, unless you were a diehard or studied the depth chart extensively or follow Irish recruiting extensively, you may have known next to nothing about him. I'm talking about quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. Admittedly, I am incredibly fond of Kaiser. I loved watching him in the blue and gold, particularly during that 2015 season, and I thought he was going to be a really strong professional quarterback. And looking back, the consensus is two things really hurt really hurt him, and I have a propensity to agree with both. So number one is that he left college a year early, which is something that even head coach Brian Kelly was pretty vocal about. And finally, the second one is that he was selected by the Cleveland Browns. Full disclosure, I'm a Browns fan, and I was elated when they selected Kaiser in the second round, early in the second round, but I had no clue that they would thrust him into action entirely too early and use him as one of the convenient scapegoats of their infamous 0-16 season. Again, zero wins, 16 losses. And I had no clue he would wash out of the league as quick as he did. But you remember when he burst on the scene for Notre Dame? The date was September 12th, 2015. And it remains one of my favorite Notre Dame games of the 20th century. Episode 28 will, after episodes 3, 8, and 20, be the fourth in show history to focus focus in on a, a seminal Irish game. Now, when thinking of the pantheon of great football games across Notre Dame's history, the 2015 game against Virginia may not leap out. But loyal sons and daughters, allow me to shed some light and remind you just how exciting this back-and-forth affair was. In fact, for my money, it was one of the most exciting wins of the 21st century. So just to take us back, the season began incredibly promising. The Fighting Irish absolutely eviscerated the Texas Longhorns 38-3 the week before on September 5th in a nationally televised primetime game. If you recall correctly, it was in fact quarterback Malik Zaire who completely lit the burnt orange up, completing 19 of 22 passes for 313 yards and three touchdowns for an otherworldly 250.9 passer rating. Wide receiver Will Fuller hauled in seven of Zaire's passes for 142 yards and two touchdowns. Chris Brown, you can call him Breezy, also hauled in a touchdown reception. And the game wasn't without a bit of drama for the Irish, though. After just three carries, junior running back Terry and Folston was lost for the season, which looked like a huge blow for the Irish as Folston had rushed for nearly 900 yards the season before. So the Irish, with their number nine ranking, then were slated to travel to Charlottesville, Virginia, to take on the Virginia Cavaliers the following week for a 3.30 tilt. The Cavaliers were hungry for revenge after a 34-16 loss at number 13 UCLA in Los Angeles the previous week. And the Irish entered the game as 12.5 point favorites. But as we have heard, we've heard for decades, every team in the nation circles Notre Dame on the calendar and prepares themselves for a dogfight, particularly when playing the Fighting Irish at home. The game was carried by ABC 
and the TV announcers were Mike Patrick, Ed Cunningham, and Dr. Jerry Punch on the sidelines. 58,200 fans packed Scott Stadium, pushing the facility's capacity to near brink. The game started well for the Irish. After receiving the opening kickoff, Zaire and the Irish offense mounted a 12-play, 68-yard drive. When it finally stalled on Virginia's 7-yard line, they called in freshman kicker Justin Yoon and the field goal squad in an effort to tack three on the board and take an early lead on the road. Sophomore backup quarterback Deshaun Kaiser served as holder on the unit. As the ball was snapped to Kaiser, he faked a backwards toss to Yoon and then flipped the ball forward to tight end Durham Smythe, who, with a head full of steam, plowed forward seven yards for a touchdown. So, rather unconventionally, Kaiser had just registered his first career touchdown pass. It can safely be assumed that everyone, including Kaiser himself, would have assumed that that would be his only touchdown pass on the day. After the two-point conversion failed, the Irish kept their 6-0 lead, while the Cavaliers' first two drives netted them two three-and-outs, good for only 12 total yards. If you remember, the defense was buoyed by an excellent linebacker duo in Jalen Smith and Joe Schmidt. So the next two Irish drives, offensive drives, went for 55 and 34 yards respectively, and both ended with Justin Yoon field goals and the Irish led 12-0 at the end of the first quarter. Now, if you were watching this game, it looked like, after one quarter anyways, Notre Dame was not only going to cover the 12.5-point spread, but maybe even run away with the contest. Even with Fulston down, backup running back C.J. Proseis had already racked up north of 60 yards rushing in just the first quarter. But man, if those Cavaliers didn't storm back... The second quarter was all Virginia. Taking possession of the ball at the beginning of the second, Virginia quarterback Matt Johns, who, before connecting for a 16-yard gain as the first quarter expired, had only thrown for four yards, began dicing the Notre Dame secondary up. Completions of 18 and 38 yards led to their first touchdown of the day, and the Irish lead was cut to 12-7. to the subsequent Irish drive stalled on downs just outside Virginia's red zone. So the Cavaliers took over with about six and a half minutes to play in the half, still down 12-7. But driving into Notre Dame territory, the Cavaliers, who had fallen victim to some trickery at the beginning of the game, decided to employ some of their own. From Notre Dame's 42-yard line with a shade over three minutes to go, Quarterback Johns lined up as a wideout, and the Cavs executed a perfect end-around reverse pass, with quarterback Johns taking the reverse pitch, and he threw a perfect strike to Keon Johnson down the field for a touchdown. So, suddenly the Irish were down, heading into the locker room 14-12 after two unanswered Cavaliers touchdowns. But the Irish, despite an off day from quarterback Malik Zaire in terms of efficiency and completion percentage, surged for two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to reclaim a comfortable lead 26-14. The touchdowns were compliments of a 59-yard Zaire pass to a streaking, speeding Will Fuller, which was an absolute bomb, by the way, and a 24-yard touchdown run for C.J. Proceis. 
So the C.J. Procise run was actually set up by an excellent 30-yard punt return by a certain C.J. Sanders. Don't you love hearing all these names again? But anyway, the play before Procise's touchdown run, quarterback Zaire took a designed quarterback draw play and rumbled ahead for three yards. On the way to the ground, in what has unfortunately become a classic football injury, someone rolled on the back of his legs. And Malik actually crumbled to the ground, and afterwards he tried to stand up, but then crumbled back to the ground in obvious pain. He knew he was hurt, uh, particularly when you saw his offensive linemen gather around him and extend their hands to help him up off the ground, but he shook his head, declining the help. So he must have known then that he had no business standing up and putting any weight on his legs. Though Zaire wasn't as sharp from an accuracy standpoint as he was the previous week against Texas, going just 7 of 18 for 114 yards, he did log nearly 90 yards on the ground rushing. But however, it was announced after the game that Zaire had fractured his ankle and was finished for the season. So enter Toledo, Ohio, Central Catholic High School product, sophomore backup quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser. Kaiser, 19 years old, and typically the holder, as mentioned earlier, quickly began warming his arm up and sprinted into the game. So for what it's worth, at this point anyway, when he took the field, Kaiser looked the part. Standing 6'4 and tipping the scales at over 230 pounds. In his class, Rivals.com had him ranked as the ninth best dual threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school. ESPN and Scout.com had him at number 16 and number 17 respectively. He was a consensus four-star prospect by pretty much all the meaningful evaluators. He was a bona fide prospect. So it was Kaiser who actually handed the ball to Procise for the go-ahead touchdown. And the Irish had, again, now distanced themselves from the pesky Cavaliers 26-14. At this point, there were 54 seconds left in the third quarter. But the Cavaliers, they wouldn't leave. Taking the ensuing kickoff, their possession ran straight into the fourth quarter. And big plays of 20, 35, and 16 yards allowed for Johns to take a four-yard run himself into the end zone for six. After the point after attempt was true, the Irish found their lead cut back to five, 26 to 21, with 13 minutes and 42 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So after failing to convert on third and one and third and three, the next two drives, the Irish and their freshman punter, Tyler Newsom, sent the ball back to the Cavaliers. Starting from their own 20-yard line with just under 8 minutes to go and down by 5 points, the Cavaliers pieced together a 13-play, 80-yard drive, complete with converting a 4th and 3 and a 3rd and 15 to score the go-ahead touchdown with less than 2 minutes in the ballgame. Though their 2-point conversion had failed, the Notre Dame faithful were absolutely flabbergasted by the sudden turn of events, with the team now trailing 27-26. to 26. On the other hand, Scott Stadium was reverberating 
the student section already looking as though they were ready to take the field by storm, eyeballing those goal posts, ready to, to dismantle them to celebrate one of their biggest victories of the millennia. The Virginia fans were literally bouncing up and down with nervous excitement, staring at a clock that had exactly 114 ticks until the program would score their first victory over a top 10 team in 10 seasons. So wouldn't you know it, it all came down to the fresh-faced Kaiser in the midst of being thrust into the first significant action of his entire young college football career. Virginia continued with that head of steam on the ensuing kickoff, which was fielded by Amir Carlisle at the five-yard line, but he failed to reach the 20. Well, Irish fans, you know what time it is. Let's pump in some crowd noise. All right, it's occurred to me this is the first time in about a year we've pumped some crowd noise into an episode, so let's get going. The first play, the Irish sporting a shotgun, single back, trips left look, was excellently blocked up front and Kaiser took the snap. Running back CJ Procise slid left to pick up a blitzing linebacker just before Kaiser released the ball, hitting wide receiver Fuller with a bullet of a throw on a timed comeback route. Good for eight yards, second and two. With time still ticking, the Irish hustled into formation. Kaiser took the snap and hurriedly forced them slightly errant throw to the offensive right that bounced off both of Fuller's outstretched hands. It was a rocket, but incomplete. Third and two, a minute 23 left on the clock. At this point, Notre Dame was zero for nine on the day, converting third downs, a clear Achilles heel of their game execution. But make that zero for 10. Lined up in a five wide receiver, empty backfield set, Kaiser before absolutely blazing another pass to Fuller on a quick curl had been eyeballing him. And a Cavaliers defensive back sensing Kaiser's eyes made a quick break on the pass, diving in to break it up, nearly intercepting it. Perhaps the only thing that saved the game for the Irish here was that again, Kaiser absolutely rifled it to the spot and the defensive back was unable to haul it in, perhaps because of the velocity. So Notre Dame called a timeout to regather. Fourth and two with a minute 20 left on the clock. Coach Brian Kelly, deciding not to put the ball in the air after two straight shaky throws, dialed up a designed quarterback draw. Kaiser, patiently waiting for the kickout blocks of pulling guard Steve Elmer and tight end Durham Smythe, followed the big men for four yards forward in a fresh set of downs. So the Irish resumed their hurry up offense with still two timeouts remaining. Returning to a trips single back shotgun look, Kaiser took the snap on first and 10 from his own 32-yard line with just over a minute left. Perhaps feeling a bit more comfortable after the fresh set of downs, Kaiser finds big number 88, the Admiral's son, Corey Robinson, on a slant for a 12-yard gain, another first down. 
Though the Irish were still planted on their 44-yard line, the telecast panned to senior defensive back Kivari Russell, who was buddying up to then-freshman kicker Justin Yoon, giving him a pep talk of sorts between practice kicks into the slack net, perhaps trying to get him ready for what could ultimately be the game-winning field goal attempt. On the subsequent play, Kaiser continued to show his poise as he sidestepped an unblocked, blitzing Cavalier linebacker, rolling right, throwing across the field and across his body to a wide-open C.J. Procise. Procise, seemingly unsure whether he should turn up field or run towards the sideline to try to stop the clock, is kind of caught between both and tackled on the hash mark. Regardless of his intention, Procise picks up 17 yards and the Irish had officially penetrated into Cavaliers territory. Timeout Irish, 43 seconds left. On the other side of the timeout, in an attempt to pick up a chunk of yards and playing the sideline, Kelly dialed up a swing pass to Procise towards the sideline. But no one was home. He only gained two yards, and Procise failed to get out of bounds before being tackled. So the time kept ticking. The Irish, down to their last timeout, but still not in field goal range, hurried back into formation. Simultaneously, Procise limped to his spot, clearly shaken up after the play, and Durham Smythe, the tight end, limped off the field, injured. Sophomore Tyler Luatua sprinted to the field in Smythe's stead. Unable to burn their final timeout for fear of not having one to set up their field goal, a valuable 20 seconds ticked off the game clock. Through the chaos, Kaiser finally took the snap from the 39-yard line with 18 seconds left in the game, with his offense sporting the familiar shotgun, trips, single back formation. Split wide to the left was Will Fuller. Kaiser took the snap and immediately began eyeing Fuller, who was streaking down the sideline. Kaiser shuffled two paces to the left, drawing the safety in, and Kaiser uncorked an absolute beauty of a pass towards the end zone, right into the outstretched arms of the streaking Fuller. Touchdown Irish. Kaiser sprinted down the field, arms outstretched in pure elation. 34-27 Irish. Fuller is a star and Kaiser found him, the TV commentator stated. After two plays on offense for Virginia, the game was over. The Irish were victors, 34 to 27. It was an absolutely unexpected comeback win spurred by an unknown backup quarterback. And again, one of my absolute favorite wins of the millennium. The Irish would go 10 and three that season with Kaiser at the helm. When thinking of this game as a, a flashpoint for Notre Dame football, consider this. From 2015 to 2019, the end of last season, the Irish sport a 47-17 and 17 record. Even with that stinker of a 4-8-2016 season considered, which is good for a 734 winning percentage with four double-digit winning seasons and four finishes in the top 12 in the country. Included in there is a top five finish as well. So good times. Love going back to 2015 in that particular game against Virginia with Deshaun Kaiser, the unheralded backup, who would soon become a star. We'll be right back for show wrap-up. 
right after this. Alright, well I hope you enjoyed that game recap. And I mean it. It is one of my favorite games. I am not sure why, other than just being a big Deshaun Kaiser fan, I have always, always been fond of him, but I have always loved that game. So unfortunately for Deshaun, he currently is an NFL free agent. So as I mentioned, he spent the 2017 season with the Cleveland Browns, and he was, again, thrust into action a bit too quickly after being the 52nd overall pick in the 2017 draft. But anyway, so after that season was finished, that nightmare of a season, uh, where again, I said it earlier in the episode, and I still believe it, he was kind of made out to be a convenient scapegoat. Uh, I think he could have been a really nice quarterback if, uh, you know, if he could have just had some time to develop. And I mean, I think he would have been a nice quarter, a better quarterback if he would have stayed another year in college, but that's neither here nor there. However, um, I feel like that 0-16 season for the Browns, or with the Browns, I should say, absolutely did a number, I think, on his confidence. And you look at the Browns that season in 2017, and Coach Hugh Jackson could not figure out what he was doing with his quarterback. So every once in a while, he would take out Kaiser and put in Cody Kessler, or take out Kaiser and put in Hogan, take out Hogan and put in Kessler, take out Kessler and put in Hogan. It was an absolute cluster of a quarterback situation and one that no one person could thrive in. And so, like I said, I really do feel like that it was... um, it was. It definitely did a number to Deshaun's confidence, um, certainly moving forward. So after that 2017 season, anyways, he was traded to the Green Bay Packers, and so he backed up. Um, he backed up Aaron Rodgers, and he got a little bit of gameplay, uh, game time, I should say. But he was mostly a backup. But he was released in 2019. And he was subsequently picked up by the Oakland Raiders, but he was ultimately released by the Oakland Raiders earlier this year without having played a down. And he is currently a free agent. So hopefully he gets picked up by someone. I mean, even I'm just saying, even if the XFL takes a flyer on this guy, I think he'll, I think he's still has a lot of, a lot to show. And you're not going to believe this when I tell you, he just turned 24 in January. So I don't, I don't, it is mind blowing to me that this man is still just that a young man. And he still, I think has a a lot of football in the tank. I hope he's staying healthy. <laughs> Maybe I'm just being a Kaiser homer, but uh, I've always, like I said, I've always been fond of him. So anyways, if you dig the show, you liked this episode and you're like, where can I get more? You can find the show on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, it's just simply that purple icon. You can find the show on Spotify as well as the Podbean app or CastBox. Uh, as far as hard URLs are concerned, onwardtovictory.podbean.com is the home site. So please, please, please like, subscribe, do whatever you have to do to make sure you're getting alerted to all the new episodes. Interact with the show. I welcome all that interaction. Um, you can go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onwardtovictory and follow it. That's where all the show updates are funneled through. So welcome to all you new members and please feel free to any of you to make your voice heard on that platform, including through the Facebook Messenger. If you want to send the show just a good old-fashioned email, you can do so at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you'd like to name yourself to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list and join loyal sons, Brad, Michael, Adam, and Colton, 
and become a loyal son or daughter yourself, so to speak. You can do so very simply. A $15 donation to the show will sponsor some episodes and get your name called out as a consensus All-American over the air. And you will also receive the latest show swag, currently some canned koozies and the world-famous Father William Corby coasters. So this fall, shows try and take care of your beverages. You can donate at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation. Or if you want to donate a certain amount per month, any denomination is appreciated, please visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. I hope you know that any support is greatly appreciated and that 100% goes directly back into the show. Thank you as always to Joseph Rakish who allows the show to use his song, Knut Rockney, as our theme song. You can find the song on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Go ahead and give it a spin. Add it to your pregame playlist. It's on my, uh, when I cut the grass, it's on that playlist too. So uh, if you were a new listener and you heard that song kind of in the lead-in and you're like, man, where do I find that thing? As I mentioned, anywhere that you listen to music, you can find it. So, well, I guess that'll about wrap up the show. Episode 28, the Rocky Blyer episode. And seriously, if you're otherwise unfamiliar with the story of Mr. Blyer, go feel free to do some digging. It's really easy to find, but it's a really, really wonderful story about just an individual who was very geared towards sacrifice and commitment and dedication and just hard work. Because again, Blyer was a guy who was played three outstanding seasons for three outstanding Notre Dame teams, went to serve in the Vietnam War despite being wounded and being awarded a Purple Heart and being told, hey, you're never going to play football again. He came back and became a viable member, rushing for almost 4,000 yards in his NFL career and became a viable member of four Super Bowl teams, uh, all won by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So go check out anything about Rocky Blyer. I promise you it's all very, very interesting. So again, thank you to everyone who, again, listened to the last couple episodes, uh, particularly the last one, and did so with an open mind. It really means a lot to me. And as you've picked up, you've probably found that I was very passionate about the issues at hand, but I did want to make sure I differentiated between what I thought was a valid argument or a valid critique of mascots and what it what isn't and as I mentioned I will never advocate for a change from the fighting Irish and I just feel the need to repeat that because not that I was disheartened by any of the uh, responses the more negative responses because it was like I said it was clear that the negative responses came from people who didn't listen to the episode and saw the episode placard that of course I put on social media and then just kind of reacted a certain way But however, being someone who, I guess I engross myself in history in general, in American history in particular, social history, whatever have you. But uh, as you know, you're listening to the show. After all, I have a particular bend towards Notre Dame history, the university and Notre Dame football history. Frankly, they could not have thought of a more appropriate nickname than the Fighting Irish. So there we go. All right, well, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. Irish.